is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, welcome to the new episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host, Jeff Cork, joined today by my good friend, Ben Hansen. Your best friend. Hello, best, Jeff Cork. Best friend in all the room. <laughs> <laughs> and today, we are talking about episodes 11 through 15 of season 5 of the Twilight Zone. And I have a, first, I have a little bone to pick with Netflix. Yeah. Because if you just say, go through like their sequential order, like as they see it, you're going to be all kinds of messed up and you won't know what's going on. Fortunately, I caught myself. I'm, if, if I'd left to their own devices, I would be completely out of control. Like, you should I mean, unsubscribe to Netflix because this is an egregious error and they've completely rearranged all the episodes in the fifth season. Yeah. What are they doing? I don't know. It seems like keeping them in the original order would be the easiest thing to do. I mean, not that it really matters for Twilight Zone, but it's nice to have that progress. I mean, you never really know what order they filmed it in, so right. it, does, it they becomes could, a little bit tricky. Maybe that's what they're going off of? It doesn't really matter until we start talking, and then I realize <laughs> I haven't seen the episode you're discussing. It so only I just matters if you're recording a podcast series dedicated to covering each of these episodes chronologically. That would be a problem. I recommend Hulu. Even your most skillful editing couldn't cover those tracks. <laughs> That's right. But Hulu, uh, not even Hulu Plus, but they're right. all completely free, so you should definitely check it out. Plus, you get to see a million commercials for Apple. It's it's 173-second commercial breaks now. It's Seriously? Really, it's really rough. There's rough. one where a hot couple's eating ice cream, and then they start making out or something, and then they start screaming at each other. Yeah. Oh, seen. God, the Italian one. And yeah. It's like some like gelato. Yeah, yeah. And I can't tell if it's real Italian. I want to get somebody who speaks it, Jeff Marchifava, maybe, to figure out all this stuff, but... Yeah. Hey, I, what's going on with Twilight Zone? Let's talk about that. All right. Let's start off with a short drink from a certain fountain. What does a short drink mean? Is that a time reference? It's a brief drink. A little sip. A, they could have said a sip okay. from a certain fountain, but people spoke differently <laughs> back when they were filming these things. <laughs> okay. So uh, how so, does this one start? We, so we start off in an apartment, and there is what appears to be a crazy party lady just spinning as this jazzy music's going on. She's holding a drink, knocks something off of a, a shelf. There's a weird close-up of her face as she's just She's dancing just losing obnoxious. her mind. Like, yeah. And then door opens, and husband comes in, right? And it's an old guy, and immediately, uh-oh. A May-December romance, if you will, <laughs> which Twilight Zone can only mean one thing, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So she's like, come dance with me, and he tries, and it's really embarrassing to watch because he just can't keep up. He, He's too old. Oh, I'm old. He uh. doesn't look that old. It's the Twilight Zone crappy aging <laughs> makeup, so he looks more like a lizard than he does an old guy. Exactly. But he comes across as like roughly 60, and apparently 60-year-olds 60 60 year can't even... Jump and jive on a dance floor. Well, here. people have smoked a lot then, too. Oh, I so see that's probably what it was. Uh-huh. So she is immediately just the worst person ever. <laughs> oh. Like, it's just like, I think I have the worst person nominee because she just is just awful. Like, she throws a lit match onto the shag carpeting. And then when he attempts to retrieve it, you know, she kind of chews him out for like, Showing concern about the possibility of their apartment burning down. Her dancing around, she broke like this family artifact. She's like, ah, what's it worth? A dollar sixty-three? Yeah, and he says, ah, it belonged to my mom. It's sentimental value, which you wouldn't understand. And yeah. she keeps calling him Big Daddy. It's very it's super creepy. mockingly. Yeah. And you learn as they talk. They've been married for five years, and she's 40 years his junior. So that was a great move. And she's learned to, to really hate him. At a certain point, she's screaming that, his idea of the finer things is to listen to music at a mausoleum. 
Yeah, and she snaps her. Well, she doesn't snap her fingers. But, but you think that if if this were a contemporary show, she would do that and right, like right. walk through a beaded curtain or something. Uh, compare her and how miserable she is to be around compared to Uncle Simon, who just made a couple jokes, but otherwise seemed totally fine. <laughs> Other than the yeah. whole building a robot in his basement thing, that guy is so much more likable than this person, who this guy chose to be married to. Yeah, and the worst part is this being the Twilight Zone. She won't get any comeuppance. <laughs> so we'll continue. She's just awful. So he calls his, the doctor. This guy's name is, by the way, Harmond Gordon. There we so go. She's got two first names. Which sure. Is a pretty, and her name is Flora. So he calls his brother Raymond, who's also a doctor, says, please come over. So uh, his brother comes over and he's like, oh, boy, you look really tired. And, and his brother definitely hates his wife there's kind of some subtle references to like oh god you're still married to this lady you don't yeah, have to yeah. talk to her he calls yeah, her yeah. a predatory alley cat <laughs> so it's pretty clear his thoughts on her yeah so then it comes out oh raymond happens to be working on a serum and they've been injecting animals with the serum and it makes them young the again. cellular serum they call it yeah and obviously uh harmond being super old He's like, ah, you know, maybe you could, you know, hook me up. And he's like, no, nah, we're 20 years away from human trials. And we don't have no idea what this will do to a person's brain. Because we've just right. been doing it on rats. And right. obviously rats aren't able to say, mm-hmm. hey, this sucks. So, and he said, you know, at best you'd be a mutated freak, a gibbering idiot, or a mindless shell. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, uh, Raymond, would, go, Raymond goes to leave. Yeah. And then Harmon goes over to the balcony and looks over it. Yeah. And his brother runs back over and he can immediately tell, oh, he's looking over because he's going to jump. Right. So. But what's interesting to me is that uh, Harmon doesn't want to do this for himself, which is normally the case when somebody wants to go back in time. It's for fairly narcissistic reasons. Mm-hmm. He wants to do it just because he's so in love with his wife and he can't yeah. stand the fact that she hates him. So he knows that if he becomes younger, mm-hmm. she'll automatically love him again or so he thinks. Right. So it's not so he becomes young again so he can like, kick her to the proverbial curb right as right. the younger people say That's i've been right. injected with a, a youth serum recently too <laughs> we can talk about that later but anyway the brother uh says nah fuck it here i'll give you the shot so uh he says okay the first effects you're gonna feel in about six hours um and then there's kind of like some ominous talk about we don't know what's gonna do your brain but you know whatever right so we cut to the next day. There's a knock on the door. It's the brother. And uh, Flora's reading the newspaper and she sees the brother and she immediately just gives like a one of the best eye rolls I think I've seen right, in a right. very long time because she's just not having it. She says, you know, basically he's asleep and he says, well, does he look okay? And she's like, eh, go in there and blow bugle. <laughs> so, ta-da, he comes out, Harmon does, and... Uh, He's got dark hair, and it's a while until we see his face because he's like drying his face off with a towel. Right. Probably just wiping the makeup off, right? Is that what, what's going on? Maybe. This is my big question with this scene. <laughs> so believe it or not, yeah, he comes out looking younger, right. like around like 30, 40, something like that. But does he age twice in this scene? I couldn't tell if they're going for like when he first comes out, he's a certain age, and then he's one step removed even younger later yeah, on. Yeah, 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 because he's got a little bit of gray in the temples, okay, but it's still okay. predominantly dark on top. Yeah. And he jokes about, oh, all I needed was a good night's sleep. And then he starts talking to Flora saying, hey, let's go on a trip. We should go on an ocean trip, maybe go to Italy, go to Rome. It's up to you. And she's like, immediately in love with us. Oh, she's like, I don't care. I'm your passenger. It's just it's the simplest thing. It's like, all you got to do to win the affection of your wife is to 
pull some magic and become a couple years younger. And then she's just, she's over the moon. She's Randy. Just, she's ready to go. This is why they sell just for men, I think. <laughs> so he, he, and then he looks in the mirror again and it's like all dark hair and it's totally black. And then right. um, Flora just shouts in horror. What, what's going on? What's going on? Because the brother is concerned. And uh, then it cuts again to a commercial break and we come back. Flora's pacing. She wants to see him. And uh, Raymond says, you know, well, he's in shock right now. He's sleeping. Uh-huh. And did you know at this point what was going on? Well, I kind of ruined it for myself because uh, earlier in the episode, I wanted to know what that lady was from because she seemed kind of familiar to me. Uh-huh. So I looked her up on IMDb and there were only three people listed. And it was Harmon, his mm-hmm. wife's name, and then Baby Harmon. <laughs> so like, oh, clearly. Yeah. Baby Harmon went on to some big things, by the way. Yeah, he no. was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, there we go. Starring role of that. That's <laughs> fantastic. So anyway, now that you've spoiled it for everybody, <laughs> <laughs> so she walks into the room and the, and the brother is saying, you know, things are changing. The ground rules are changing. You can't just think about yourself now. You've got your relationship's going to be a lot different. So she walks in and then stunned and looks like she's married to, uh, looks like he's probably a four, right, I would right. say. It's interesting that the serum makes you stop at four. You think you just keep going until he was just like... A sperm a wriggling on a bed. total Benjamin Button scenario. <laughs> the full BB, they call it. <laughs> so she obviously thinks that sucks. But then Raymond immediately has a grasp on how the whole estate works. And he's like, right. you leave here, you leave with just the clothes on your back. No, inherit- or no uh, inheritance or anything like that. I don't know if that's how that works. I don't know if he really had the law on his side when he's like, if you walk out these doors, you will no longer be married to my brother, and therefore you mm-hmm. won't get all of his rich things. And then she says something about, that's crazy. His response, crazy? No, it's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> he seems surprisingly delighted by this whole situation. Like, he's more happy just with the huge FU to the idea of this younger wife than the idea that, like, oh, I really messed up my brother's he life. He shows absolutely no concern for the <laughs> no. fact that his brother is a baby. <laughs> Maybe he realizes think, he's going to make a gazillion dollars off this formula now. But he doesn't know because, the like, he could still be a mutated freak, a gibbering idiot, right. or a mindless shell, just because he happens to look like a little baby. I mean... Right, right. So if you did stop at four, would you take this serum? Or is that too far? I know do, you said you re- earlier in this podcast you wanted to go back to 18. Do you retain your memories at four? I don't know. Did Harmon look like he knew what was going on in that bed? He did not look like. No, you don't. You have like, you have whiffs. You know, every once in a while you'll pick up something and know that something's a little bit off. Horrible deja vu kind of stuff. Not horrific, but just kind of premonitions type of thing. I don't see the advantage if you don't retain your memories of. Because you technically get to live for a long time. Technically, but it would. (laughs) But you wouldn't have any memory of existing before right so if you're on your deathbed mm-hmm. i mean is it just neutral to if you're on your deathbed you're 95 yeah and i give you that offer you would take it i <sighs> well i hope you're ready for your deathbed court because <laughs> i'm gonna come a knocking you got a lot of shots that's you're right, gonna experiment right. on me okay that's fine. yeah i i feel sorry for any uh you know age mismatched couples that are watching this episode because the whole episode is just like this huge like well it's your fault you're stupid for trying to make this work well, maybe don't be a completely horrible person <laughs> or, you know, the 40 year age difference is somewhat significant. I guess so. But um, yeah, I want to talk about the brother for a second. Yeah, Again, please. Let's, let's really reiterate. Uh-huh. Zero concern for the fact that his brother is a baby. Only glee. Like, is he, he going to watch so after? so happy about it. Is he going to watch the baby? Is he going to raise it with the guy's wife? Is he going to try and swoop in on the wife now that she's been, I don't know. Oh, humilified. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, at a certain point, God, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. This he, one left me kind of speechless for a little while. It's just like, I don't understand if this punishment, you know what I mean? She was really terrible. Yeah. But this punishment involves more than just her, like a big zinger on her. Right. They try to spin it where it's like, well, he's been taking care of you for the last five years. Now it's your turn to take care of him and change his diapers and stuff. So I guess they're trying to draw that analogy that dating somebody 40 years younger than you is like changing diapers. But if he had stayed that old, she'd be changing his diapers. That's true. Again anyway, right? Yeah. And now, I mean, once that kid gets to be 18, she can really enjoy herself and they can finally go on that cruise. Mm-hmm. And she'll have to wear the old lizard makeup. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think is how that works. Uh, this episode, it wasn't great, mm-hmm. but I think it moved really well and it was completely unoffensive. Yeah. But mainly, I just felt like maybe it's because of the first one of the block, but I just felt like it flew by. Uh, so I gave it an old five. Yeah, I gave it a six. Okay. I think it's interesting that the fact that it just flew by is enough for it to get kind of like a, a middling score. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, you didn't drag on like a lot of your preachy moral tales or yeah, yeah. have a tendency to do. Well, let's agree to immediately forget about that one. All right, let's do it. All right. Uh, next one is called 90 Years Without Slumbering, which sounds like a pretty cool title. You think something is something interesting is actually going to happen here? I just want to... The first thing I wrote on my notes here, uh huh, and then I'll let you take it away. Old guy singing to a fucking clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote down a shitty dubbing of him singing. <laughs> so. And a song that has so many verses about a clock. <laughs> anyway. And then it's it's immediately followed up by a husband slapping his wife on the hiney. Yeah. Uh, as she's walking out of the room. This stupid. has everything. Yeah, it really has everything you want. Clock, singing, hiney. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so here's the situation. Edwin is back for the first time since One for the Angels. Yep. Which is like the second episode of the whole series. It's super early. Yeah. Um, so he's back and he is a grandfather living with his granddaughter and her husband. They are married, right? They I would are imagine married. So, yeah. They have a daughter or a... A little wee one on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they're all living together and it all seems to be going pretty well. They all love the grandfather except for the fact that he is super into this clock, this giant grandfather's clock. That he's constantly winding up, and it just seems like the biggest pain in the ass. Uh, but every 48 hours, mm-hmm. if you don't wind it up, it'll stop. And the catch is that he's convinced that when the clock stops, he will die. Because his father also had a clock, and his father before him, and his father was 90, mm-hmm. and the clock stopped, and then he died. Right. Real real quick, yeah. when they're having dinner, or they're at the breakfast table, the uh, the husband says to the wife something about... Well, somebody's got to take care of the homely and gives her like a little like condescending pinch on her chin. It's so, just love. That's what love, love looks like, Cork. Slapping and pinching. <laughs> so. And insulting. Yeah. Uh, so really, I mean, this episode is surprisingly familiar in structure to the Murderer's Row one, where this guy is just fully obsessed with clocks and the other guy is fully obsessed with wax statues. Yeah. Except the clock does not murder anybody in the basement in this one. Well, way to spoil it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's uh, on the ground floor. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, he eventually moves it down to the ground floor uh, and puts it up in front of a painting, and he's just really all in on this clock. But that's because they make him see a uh, psychiatrist. That's right. So they want him to go to Mel the psychiatrist because... Family friend. Yeah, because they're so worried. They're like, oh, you've met this guy before. Go visit him. Because they're so worried about him. But he's not a crazy person. They never pitch it like he's like, Cleaning the clock, <laughs> cleaning the clock, uh, incessantly. I mean, I guess he is, but he always comes across as a very nice guy, just logically super into this clock. And then every once in a while, he mentions the fact that, 
oh yeah by the way this clock stops i think i'm gonna die well let's go he also sings to the clock yeah a, a song that really does take forever and you yeah. hear like the the couple is talking and you can still hear him going on about <laughs> fans of clocks would really like this episode because there's a lot of clock footage a lot of clock talk i have never heard the word clock as many <laughs> spoken as many times before as i did in this episode like at the end i'm like i've never thought about clocks this I wrote i've down never, that note, so I've I've never, never written the word clock this many times <laughs> And so uh, he goes to see the psychiatrist, who is basically Chris Parnell from yeah. like 30 Rock, <laughs> like that exact character. And then like every once in a while, they try and be funny in this episode. And uh, the psychiatrist makes some references like, oh, we've really gone off the track now. And then Edwin's like, oh, track. Are we talking about trains now? And oh, the psychiatrist gets a good laugh out of that one. Oh, there's also my favorite moment in yeah. a long time is when Sam... The, the guy's, the psychiatrist, Mel, yeah. like mentions, oh, yeah, I've got a grandfather. I've got a clock, too. He's like, oh, you've got a clock? And uh. it's just, he's super stoked to talk about <laughs> someone who else who has a clock. Yeah. And, yeah, the, he's just really into hearing all about the clock. Like, the guy starts to describe it, and he's like, oh, wait a minute. We're here to talk about Right, right. Clock. That's, I think, when they even go off the track. And so... The guy checks out as far as the psychiatric evaluation goes, and then he's on his way out, and he's like, oh, by the, by the way, one more thing. I want to let you know that when that <laughs> clock stops, I will totally that. It's very nice of him. Yeah. He's a nice guy to be like, oh, by the way, uh, yeah. psychiatrist, I am crazy, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to save it for the very end so that it, you know you don't feel guilty yeah. for when this clock kills me. There's something, like, in this uh, block, there are a lot of really bad transitions, and this is, like, the first one that really stood out to me yeah. is that... The scene ends like, oh, by the way, when this clock stops, I'll die. And then it moves over to the doctor and he leans on this desk clock super uh-huh. awkwardly. And then it like fades into the grandfather clock's face. <laughs> it's just such a weird like senior portrait. I'm leaning on a clock now. Was that the commercial break then? Yeah. Okay. It must have been. So anyways, now comes the point when Edwin wants to move the clock downstairs and so there's a couple of movers that are helping him Mm -hmm. and so he moves it down in front of like this painting in the middle of the living room or whatever uh and then the clock stops and then ed no this is a commercial break Mm -hmm. because then edwin like clutches his heart and just has a super lame like fall back onto the stairs as he's dying uh commercial break commercial break is over comes back and the clock's moving again and he's alive Right. There's a weird false alarm. And so, does that mean that the movers wound up the clock? Is that what was going on? I think the clock is just not a great clock, ultimately. Because it's 75 years old or This whatever. is the same staircase, by the way. That guy totally bit it on Living Doll. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so, somehow the clock got going again, and then he's just fine again. Yeah. Um, so, then he agrees that, hey, I'm obsessed with this clock. This is a real problem. So, he agrees to uh, sell it. Mm-hmm. And so, he sells it to the neighbor uh everything seems to be going okay he's like oh how's that clock doing no tell me about the clock oh he gives it to the friend and he says right well i'll just have to come over uh for a few hours every other day right no big deal every 48 hours i can totally do that yeah but just so he can remain living in this house and watch like the birth of his great grandchild and all that stuff she's like yeah free clock whatever (laughs) yeah so she gets it but then they go on vacation and he gets really worried because you have to wind it every 48 hours so he tries to break in there uh, the cops find him. Mm-hmm. He's trying to explain to the cop. There's another weird transition where the cop's trying to talk him down and he won't have it. Uh, they bring him back to the house. He is kind of in pain because the clock has theoretically stopped or is super, super close yeah. to stopping at this point. So he goes to bed. Uh, his ghost then comes out of his body. Yeah, it's like a classic Twilight Zone. I'm lying down yeah. and then the, like, it's superimposed. 
standing up and right. looking at his body. Right, right. And then, of course, he makes a joke about, like, oh, I can see right through you. And then the ghost is like, oh. It's real, <laughs> real funny stuff. Um, and so then he's talking with the ghost, and the ghost is kind of reiterating, like, oh, it's this family legacy. Of course you're going to die with this clock. Clock, 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 clock. <laughs> uh, and so then he explains, like, oh, I've seen a psychiatrist. And uh, that's not going to happen. Yep. Everything's fine. And then the clock stops and the ghost fades away. And then he beats the clock because he explained to the ghost that it's not real. Um, And so that kills the spirit. And I guess the spirit was a manifestation of his obsession with this clock. And then Rod Serling explains that clocks are made by men, but God makes time. Mm -hmm. And uh, fading out to the credits. And there's a weird kind of reference at the end that, oh, yeah, by the way, Grandpa Sam was a clockmaker. Like oh, really? Learned, yeah, like something about like, oh, yeah, everything you learned. Something, the ghost said you, this? No, it was near the end. I can't remember where it was exactly, but he uh-huh. makes like a reference about having, using all his knowledge from clockmaking. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess do what you love. Yeah, I guess you should have referenced it at some point earlier in the episode. But I liked Ed Wynn's performance in this. Mm-hmm. I thought that was okay. Uh, yeah. It wasn't offensive. No. Just a little boring. It's a pretty dumb idea. I like the little exchange at the end, you know, where he's like arguing with himself kind of basically. Right. But yeah, this is pretty stupid when you think about it. Maybe I want to live to see my great grandchild Uh and I've got all this stuff to live for. And having to wind a clock all the time is really dumb. I would love to be in the pitch meeting for this with Serling and the writer because I don't think Serling wrote this. But just the be like, okay, this guy that really likes clocks. It's kind of like, you know, if the (laughs) clock doesn't wind up, Mm -hmm. he dies. It's but a, let's put a fun spin on it. It's not make it serious. Serling like closes his eyes. <laughs> He's hiding behind his bushy eyebrows. And then the guy reaches over to Serling's sleepy hand and dicks the rubber stamp. Approved. <laughs> Done. And then it was put in production. So I ended up giving this one a four. I I gave it a, a five. Okay. It's just right. Right there in it the is. middle. That is certainly an episode. It's a little bit, little bit below par. I don't know. If, this might be in debate for... Uh, the most aggressively mediocre, but I'm not going to give it to it right now. No, I'm glad. Cork, I am so glad I don't have to describe this next episode. It makes me so happy. Oh, no. Take it away, Look at my notes. So here we have Ring-a-Ding Girl. <laughs> oh, boy. Could Ring-a-Ding anything. Girl. So <laughs> this one, we start off, an actress is talking to her publicist. Is that what that word? Yeah, agent publicist. Agent publicist, sure. whatever. And she's talking about her hometown of Howardville. She just got a letter from a fan, and um, it, it was in, in, attached to that was like a, a ring. Yeah. Because you learn that the actress, her nickname is she's Bunny Blake. She's the Ring-a-Ding Girl, and she's, the publicist talks about you know her stroke of genius is you know obviously as the Ring-a-Ding Girl, it's a pretty clever trick to have her collect rings. So just every movie she's in, she has to wear a ton of rings. I don't know. Like a period piece. Yeah, yeah. So she gets this ring and the ring-a-ding girl puts it on and then looks at it. And then you see smoke in the ring and uh-huh. it goes, Ooh, and you see the uh, lady's face. Come home, bunny. Come home. This is Hildy, bunny. Yeah, this Come is home. Hildy. Come home. So then she, we, yeah, we go to the next scene and it's just a, a boy reading a paper. <laughs> And he's super whiny. It's like I wrote down he's a proto Luke Skywalker because yep. he basically doesn't want to do any chores or right, anything like true. that. And you see Hildy, the lady who we just saw 
last in a ring, and uh, she's vacuuming. And then Bunny surprises her and says, hey, I'm here. Surprise. And you learn it's her sister. And they talk and you find out that the whole town chipped in because they're so proud of uh, the ring-a-ding girl. And they bought that ring. And um, yeah, aren't you supposed to be in Rome? Well, I'm supposed to be in Rome, but I just wanted to swing by Howardville. And I went to the airport, then I decided, no way, yeah, I need to save Howardville. Save Howardville. <laughs> and then you learn that uh, it's the fa- the day of the Founders Day picnic. This is a real small town. Right. And uh, Founders Day picnic. So then um, she's kind of freaking out about the idea of the picnic for some reason. And then she gazes into a ring again. And the sci-fi strings are... <laughs> yeah. And then, see, up again. and then you see a guy in the ring, and he says... Something about, you know, I'm your TV guy. Come on, come home, bunny. We need you, we bunny. We need you, bunny. Yeah. And then she faints. So when she comes to, there's a doctor, and he is totally not impressed with the ring-a-ding girl. He's just <laughs> like, so what is it you do in Hollywood again? Whatever. Right. And she says to the doc, you know, hey, you got a lot of pull in this town. Why don't you do me a favor and postpone the picnic? And he's like, nope. Got a, and then he says something like, here's some. He has a prescription. Here's something to help right. her rest. And you hear the theremin again. And once again, the ring. She looks in it, and it's an old guy, and he's chewing her out, saying, Ah, oh, you think you're something special. Uh, well, you're a special person now. You're the most special person. Help. Okay, at this point, let's just take a little break. <laughs> when you're watching this, do you have any idea what the F is happening? I I don't even know. <laughs> I, I was, they lost me when they said, You're the ring-a-ding girl. <laughs> and I'm waiting... Like, what's going on with the ring-a-ding? What does it have to do with yeah. anything? And it's like, is she scared of the ring? Like, you can't really... Why does she keep looking at it? She keeps looking at it and is horrified. And so the part that I liked is throughout the course of the episode, I was like, oh, I think she's just a crazy person. Mm-hmm. And maybe she never went to Hollywood at all. Maybe all these people are just imagining that she did. And that's going to be the course of the episode. She's just slowly revealed to be just completely insane. And she's going to fall apart. This is a Mulholland Drive. I that's thought, what's going on here. I thought we're Mulholland U Drive. Uh, but <laughs> that, that'll come up later. That's right. But that's not happening here. No. So the doctor says, hey, give her these drugs. Uh, she's suffering from fatigue. Because at this point, after she saw the old guy, she ran up the stairs. So she comes back down. She's like, oh, I'm fine. Whatever. Uh, and she asks about the first guy that she saw in the ring. Yeah. And we learned, oh, he owns a TV station. So she's like, oh, he had a crush on me back in the day. So she grabs the son. Yeah. She's like, hey, bud, want to go for a walk and say hey to people? And she's super weird and flirty with her nephew. Yeah. She's like, oh, what a strapping young lad and all this crap. Let's go for a ride in the convertible. So before they go outside, you hear thunder. And (laughs) she goes outside and she says, ring a ding. Fade to (laughs) commercial. For the first time. Yeah. And that that is the worst transition in this entire block. Like that's their big stinger before the commercial break is her hearing thunder and then saying the words ring a ding. Yeah, then you, you go outside and he's got a really cool car. Oh, she yeah. says ring a ding and uh so she goes uh and asks about the old guy, Mr. Gentry, you find out. He's the caretaker for the school. And Bunny goes over to this the school and is like, "Please make sure that the doors to the school auditorium are open." And he's like, "Screw you." You always thought you were too good for this town. Oh, uh-huh. P.S. The doors are always open. Right. Now right. who looks like a fool? So she agrees to put on her famous one-man, one-woman show at the exact same time well, as the picnic. Is, we're not there yet. Oh, God. Because there's more thunder. Move I want to agonize oh, over every, every turn of the screw with this because okay. there's a lot of stuff going on here. Swings by the TV station and, yeah, she tells the guy, don't go to the picnic. There's more thunder. Then the phone rings and Hildy answers it back at, back at home 
and uh, it's a friend says, hey, Bunny's on TV. So she turns it on and then you see Bunny saying, hey, everybody, that picnic sucks. You should go see me because I'm going to put on my special one woman show you heard about in Vegas. Right. So it's in the auditorium. It's going to be great. And it's at the same time as the picnic. Sorry. But you have to choose if you want to go to some dumb picnic or see this amazing ring-a-ding girl show. And then instantly, I don't know if this must not have been live television. That must have been a pre-recorded segment. Bunny comes in the door and, right. and Hilda's like, okay, here's the deal. You look like a complete show-off, Bunny Blake. Right. And and then there's a weird reference to their childhood. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite piece of dialogue from this episode where Hilda goes, fun, wasn't it? Being kids? And then Bunny Blake goes, it was very good. <laughs> Yeah. And then, so then she looks at the ring again because she just can't stop at this point. Right. And you see it's an airplane and it's her sitting next to her manager on the plane and the manager's saying, ah, forget Howardsville. And then we cut back and Bud can't find his tie. It's storming. Uh huh. And at this point, I'm wondering who would go to the picnic? Even if you don't want to see this one-woman show, which sounds right. completely terrible, why would you go <laughs> to a picnic, yeah, yeah, Founder's yeah. Day or not? Because it's raining outside. But anyway, so she gets to, goes to get her coat. Oh, you'll never believe what she does next. She walks it, out into the rain. She involves a ring. Oh, no. And she looks in the ring, and there's the captain. This is the captain. Um, put on your seatbelts. Uh-huh. And then suddenly we hear fire engines and ambulances, and Bunny says goodbye and walks outside. And fades away. Fades away. Right. And then suddenly you hear uh, there's like a plane crash. Oh, my gosh. It was from uh, whoops, from <laughs> Los Angeles to New York. Uh-huh. It crashed on the site of the Founders Day picnic. And then like the radio broadcaster is explaining that like uh, they found a body of Bonnie Blake mm-hmm. at the plane crash site. But Bonnie Blake has also been reported in the town and on yeah. TV that day. Then he goes, all we know for sure is that she's dead. Oh, like, well, <laughs> I don't think so. You just listed two very conflicting <laughs> things. Yeah. But all right, sure. Yeah. We're confident and, that she's dead. And then Hildy looks and there's the ring on the floor. <laughs> the old ring-a-ding ring. And she looks inside of it and it's just a ring. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what what is happening here? Whew. I think that... I don't fully know. <laughs> I, no, I, I, think, wa- I went back to the beginning again. Yeah. Like, maybe I missed something because maybe they packed more story into that beginning. Mm-hmm. But no, it is just the agent talking about going on that trip. Yeah. And then you were right in the town. Right. Because you'd think like, okay, what happened is that she was able to warn everybody, which she did. Right. But the whole fact that she was interacting with everyone. So it wasn't just like, usually in these kinds of stories, it's just the sister who sees her. Right. And then- has to convince everyone, I saw her, I was hanging out with her, and uh-huh. no one believes that person because obviously it's a silly thing to believe. But she was on television. She was flirting around town all day. She was on television to the point where enough people went to that auditorium to see the one-woman show. <laughs> right. But, oh yeah, P.S., she was killed on the plane. The part that's really... Well, I like the image as well because like the guy calls Hildy to let her know that they found her corpse. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh no, she's sitting in the seat next to some other lady. But I like the idea that like amidst this flaming wreckage, there's just like her corpse sitting in a seat. That's her. It's very <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, the part that confuses me is the images in the ring shift from being of Howardville for the first half mm-hmm. while she's still in Howardville to then the second half of the episode, they're images of the plane. The plane, yeah. What is going, like why that shift? It seems like it's trying to, to clue inf- you in. To inf- yeah, because I don't know what information what this information is supposed to do to her. Like to show, 
oh, maybe I should have been on this plane all along, or am I on this plane? My all body along, is or? on that plane. I mean, because throughout the episode, like the only thing I could reason was going on is like, okay, she got a warning in her ring mm-hmm. that some terrible things are going to happen at this picnic, but and she doesn't want anybody to know, doesn't want anybody to go, but they don't really let on to that or like we don't get to see her warning from the ring or anything all we get is come help us maybe let's have a pact yeah if something like this ever happens you can come to me and say i'm a ghost get a load of this crazy ring (laughs) and i will look at it with you okay listen listen more closely to the to the theremin it's really great yeah uh boy i wanted to like this episode yeah i was really hoping it was gonna have a more cool twist and i guess i like the twist uh but it just didn't really make sense, ultimately. No. I gave it a four. <gasps> At last we meet. All right, finally. All right, cool. Moving on to, to higher ground here with a really <laughs> great title. This yep. is I really like this. This one's called You Drive. Yep. You cannot get a better title than that. Really? <laughs> For the entire season, it's my favorite title so far. I know we're only like, what, 14 in or something like that? Okay. But it's definitely my favorite. All right. So anyways, there's this guy named Ollie, and uh, Rod Serling introduces us to him and with the introduction of Portrait of a Nervous Man, and he's driving in his car, right, driving home from work. Mm-hmm. He's very stressed out at work. Uh, he's driving home. He hits a paper boy mm-hmm. and keeps on driving. That's how the episode opens. Good, solid opening. Well, he gets out and then run, gets back in, and then a lady sees him, though. Right, right. This old lady, yeah. And so uh, he goes all the way home. Uh, his wife notices... Well, First of all, we're going to have the Serling reveal because, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, Serling is doing the narration in the beginning. And then, like, it does a whip pan from the driving shot over to uh, Rod Serling. And he is then, like, sitting in front of some – they try to make it look like he's outside in, like, the, you know, L.A.-style area. But it's just, like, a painting of some palm trees behind <laughs> him. It just looks like crap. Anyway, so this guy eventually drives home and his wife notices that he's flustered. But he's just immediately talking about work. Like, oh, it's Pete Radcliffe is after my job. Oh, boy, I'm so stressed out. And he lies down on his couch, which he's on most of the time. Uh, so I'm trying to remember. I think it's that the car, the horn starts honking yeah, in the wife, car. Yeah, wife says, hey, someone's in the garage. And then he walks in and the headlights are flashing. Right. And the music's going. Yes, this is a cool thing. I'm glad you pick up. Yeah, yeah. This. So the music, it's uh, the non-diegetic music. It's the... Yeah, yeah. So then the headlights are flashing. And so then he walks over and he like turns the key mm-hmm. in the car just to double check it. And then the second he does that, the music from Twilight Zone shuts off. Yep. And the twilight or the, the headlights are off. And he's like, okay, well, there we go. And there's also a fun mention where the wife mentions uh, like, oh, the paper boy's late. That's weird. He's not mm-hmm. normally late. And so this guy's getting more and more nervous. Um, so immediately we're on a good track because yes. it's a self-aware car trying to link him to the scene of the crime. Right. Which is just a great premise for the whole episode. Uh-huh. So as it unfolds, it's basically the telltale heart, but it's the car instead of a beating car. Exactly. And so, oh man, so so much happens here. So it goes on and the car just keeps reacting more and more, eventually to the point that the wife is like, well, I'm going to drive it into the shop to yeah, take care of it. Because it's like honking. Yeah. And it's, it's keeping him awake at night. Yeah. It's blasting music and stuff. Uh, and so the wife decides to drive it into the mechanic. And so she gets in it, and how do the, how does this work? Oh, no, so she's driving it, mm-hmm. and then it starts driving itself, and she gets super freaked out, and it just drives itself to the scene of the crime where he hit the paper boy, and then just stops. Yep. The and car just shuts itself off. It, and yeah, it just creates this awful traffic jam. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the car is trying to speak. It's just a very subtle car. Yeah. Um, so the wife gets out, brings the car to the repair shop then, because she knows mm-hmm. that something's up. 
by the time she gets back from the repair shop, basically, the car is back in the garage. Yeah. And so he calls up the mechanic, or the mechanic calls him, and uh, they're talking. He's like, well, I'm not going to pay for this because you didn't touch the car. And why? who delivered it anyway? And the mechanic's like, no one delivered it. Mm-hmm. You must have come picked it up. And he's like, nope, I did not do that. He's like, well, it didn't drive itself, certainly. <laughs> So then the doorbell rings, though. Yeah. And he, he does a classic, well, if anyone asks for me, I'm not home. Right. And at this point, you, you know, he's called the hospital earlier and, you know, just to check the condition of the boy. And, like, apparently this kid's not in great shape. Right. And it's Pete. Pete Radcliffe comes in. Ugh. And the favorite part is that he tells his wife that he has the flu. And so his wife tries to explain to Pete Radcliffe that he has the flu. But Pete just does not care. And nope. he just storms right in, wakes this guy up, and then immediately shaking his hand and talking in his face. Um, He's like gone through his in basket at work and right, all this other right. stuff. You could tell that there's some real tension between those two. Yeah, it works well. Uh, and then he's also talking about how he knew that little boy that was hit by the car and he feels so bad and that the kid's dead. Yeah, that's why he's a little flustered. Pete is. And he, he apologizes. You, Wow, you feel bad for this Pete guy. You know, it was Ollie guys. He hit a kid. <laughs> he hit a kid. He's not a great guy. No, no, no. So uh, Pete Radcliffe is then driving home. Mm-hmm. And there's this great moment where there is a police kind of camping out by the scene of the crime because criminals always return to the scene of the crime, naturally. Especially hit and run because you want to go there and gloat. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, remember when I hit that kid? Uh, So anyways, they're sitting there looking at the scene of the crime. Uh, Pete Radcliffe drives by and the lady who Mm -hmm. was there that day pinpoints Pete from the moving car and says, that's him, officer, that's him. This guy's driving by at like 30 miles an hour, but she detects him. It's a completely different car. Oh, it's like a two-stage ID. He's like... That's him. I think that's him, officer. He's like, well, yeah. I can't just stop him. You right. Gotta be sure. Oh, yeah, that's totally him then. Right. So he pulls over Pete and he's like, hey, uh, I think you need to come with me because you've been connected with this hit and run. And uh, Pete's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't involved. And then the officer just says, well, I got a witness says you're wrong. Dun, dun, One dun. witness. Yep. Yes, exactly. So they bring Pete in. Um, so the car is still in the garage and it's really losing its mind. It's mm-hmm. like, blasting the radio with yeah. like the news report of the kid dying and stuff like that which well, is pretty cool well at this point ollie is just totally smug now because he's yeah. read in the paper that pete has been arrested right, and he's just right. like loving it he's like i don't have to worry about my job anymore <laughs> everything's coming up ollie yeah, yeah and so but when it's making noise he goes down there and like <laughs> he gets really close to the car and then the car like drops its bumper yes. it's like tearing itself apart because it wants to get at this guy so badly mm-hmm. yeah but, and the radio it's doing like the report of yeah, the kid was yeah. dead but this is the part where it really sunk into me that it's so nice that this car just isn't trying to kill him. Yeah. Like, that would have been such an easy living doll type mm-hmm. story. The car just could have pinned him against the wall, but it's not. It's just trying to alert him, alert him or make him feel guilty, you know? Yeah, because, like, what's interesting about the radio report is, like, the fact that it just keeps cycling. You know, right. It's, like, on a loop. Even right. In, but the report also names the witness and names the person who was arrested, including his address. <laughs> it's like, wow, if you really want to form a lynch mob... Either side, you know, if you want to go oh, get yeah. the witness oh, yeah. or you want to go after this Pete fellow, Have here's all the it. information that you need. <laughs> but yeah, so and then he like the hood comes up and he's like banging on it. So I was like, oh, the car's going to run over him. Right, right. But it just doesn't happen. It doesn't but it's run like he, over It's kind of like a living doll situation, though, where he can't really destroy the car. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best he could do is like drive it into the swamp out by Bates Motel. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit lower it in there. It's like there's no way you can really imprison this thing because it'll just drive right back. Um, so... He stays remarkably calm with his wife throughout this whole episode. He's not like a total spaz. He's just a guilt-ridden guy. Uh, pretty well acted. Um, 
And so then he is walking to work. And his wife's like, why aren't you taking the car? He's like, ah, I just want to take the car. I'll sell it. Yeah. So Whatever. So then he's walking to work. And then the car, of course, comes out of the garage. And the wife just has this look of horror. Like she's trying to <laughs> scream and can't even scream. And this is my favorite part. Because the car just kind of like pulls on, pulls alongside Ollie. Mm-hmm. And then he does this move where he sees it. He clearly sees there's yes. no driver. And he just starts walking super slow. Oh, it's awesome. It's like he's trying to beat the car by walking slower than it can drive. He's playing it cool. Yeah, and then he goes goes for the spaz. He turns around Ah. and tries to run the other way. And the car uh, chases him down. It's raining. Yeah, it's great. And so then Ollie finds himself in the middle of the road like he trips and falls. He trips and falls right on the rain. Right, right. And then the car is coming barreling towards him. And this this is the make or break for Twilight Zone. This freaking car gets right up to him, slams on the brakes... Like and spares his head by a couple mm-hmm. inches. So like that would have been the moment where the car yeah. could have wiped him out. But the car is just a moral car. Yes. And so then he gets in it and it drops. Oh, that's the best part is he stands up. Yeah. The passenger door opens. <laughs> right. 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 And it doesn't like beep out, get in, or anything <laughs> like that. It's just the door opens and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So then he gets in and drives to the car. Drives him to the police station and just lets him out. And that's yep. the end of the episode. It's just like. Well, it's implied that he felt so guilty, and his car was a manifestation of that guilt. It really is a reverse Christine, in a way. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I guess it is. And then Sterling warns us, like, hey, if you're ever thinking about committing a, ca- a crime with your car, don't, because it might be alive. You never know. You, your car might have a conscience, I think. Yeah, is that's what he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know. This This is a good episode that definitely falls in that camp of, like, I mean, it's not as silly it's not like the car's making dumb noises but it, it's in that ballpark of franklin mm-hmm. and think about machines yes where it's in fact think about machines there was a car that drove itself yeah and probably the same car and only the, that one knocked a guy into the swimming pool that's right and he slunk to the bottom which is weird um so i really this episode really stood out in this block yeah uh, i ended up giving this one a seven i gave this one a seven as well okay i, I thought this was a super fun one i like the fact that like we Talked about her just a moment ago. Uh-huh. I like the fact that it didn't kill him. It was never out for blood. Right. But it was just like, dude. <laughs> come on, dude. You got, come on. I'm keeping up with the news. <laughs> I know that the kid died. Ever the news. Oh, boy. Yeah. And no one's going to want to buy me when you ripped all my radio wires and <laughs> broke a headlight. Plus, it's kind of a nice nod back to the episode where the car was possessed of the used car lot. Mm-hmm. And it made him tell the truth. Yeah. And then Nikita Khrushchev bought the car. <laughs> God, Twilight's stupid. It really is the best. But it's interesting. I mean, we we'll both give it a seven, but I think we're both pretty excited about this one, just when we were telling, talking about it. Yeah. Maybe just because it stands right next to all these other duds, but... Yeah. Speaking of duds... Speaking of duds... Take it away! This one's called The Long Morrow. Morrow. Here we go. We start off with a dude wearing briefs, frozen in what looks to be a block of ice. It's like it's the exact same case as the Rip Van Winkle caper, like yes. that one where they froze themselves in. But yeah. he's not in a cave; he's in a spaceship. That's right. So he's doing like a flashback, talking about time and the passage of time, and blah blah blah. And then he yeah. takes us back. So this guy is Commander Douglas Stansfield. He's an astronaut, and he meets you with the doctor. And the doctor says, "Hey, you know, uh, we've been looking at our neighbors in space, and..." You know, they're all accessible, but they offer us nothing. So what we're going to be doing is sending a one-man spacecraft to another solar system. And that'll happen in about six months. And it's going to be one dude. And it, uh, it'll be you. And the guy's like, I like this assignment very much. Because he explained that Pluto was poisonous 
of yep. course. And this is there's a lot of great moments here. So they have the horrible uh, <laughs> astronomy lesson of like they're like pointing at like a nebula. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is the other solar system. Oh, like he says, you recognize this? He's like, oh, it's our solar system, and he starts pointing things out. Right, like, right. This is our sun. This is. Blah, blah, blah. planets i don't know any planets been <laughs> <laughs> no and then uh he's talking about like why they need to send a person there's no real justification except for the fact that he says science has solved the mechanical affairs and now it's up to one man to breathe mm-hmm. life into blueprints and computers yes so we're gonna send you right 141 light years away and a ship that's equipped with an interstellar drive by the way, just this one guy's choosing to send him. This entire episode is surprisingly vacant. There's like three characters in it. Yes. It was supposed to be like this huge space operation, but anyways. And there's only really two sets, which yeah. is weird too. So anyway, this this interstellar drive will allow this one-man ship to go 70 times the speed of light, uh-huh. but even then the trip will take about 40 years. Uh-huh. But we know that the way that time class we're going to be putting you... Um, like a sleep or whatever? Yeah, we'll get, we're going to be putting you in a... Wait, Pause for a second. Okay. We'll have to back that up for a second. Sure. So the trip's going to take about four years. It goes back to the the, the brief shot, and he's all cold and frozen. Yeah. And he's saying, uh, well, it would have been easy except for a, a third character entered the scene. Right. And that's when we cut to this lady scientist. We Her name is Sandra Horn, and she drops some papers. And this is really interesting. I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this because you've got a good eye for this stuff. Uh-huh. They have this conversation, and it's like, Cutting between him and her. Did you notice the way that those were shot were completely different? No. It, oh, well, the, like hers, it's always like a super soft focus. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like they did that for every lady in the Twilight Zone, yeah. This one just really stood out to me. Sure, sure. But anyway, they're talking, and he he immediately just starts flirting with her. and Very it, awkward flirting, but it, she seems to be into it, I guess. At the end, he gives her a handshake, and then it turns into this creepy hand rub. <laughs> and this dinner invitation where she's like, ah, my number's in the book. He's like, I'm not calling it. I'm going to pick you up at eight. Go to a restaurant. So then um, then we go back to the doctor and we learn that um, this guy's 31, which if he's 31, I'd be very surprised. This actor looks like he's probably in his mid-40s. Sure. And we learn that and he's going to be put in a state of suspended animation Uh while he's on this ship. And so he won't age. So then... But it's going to take 40 years. It's going to take 40 years, right. So... Then we go to the couple again, and he's he's leaving at this point in a month, right? And they they go, and they're dancing. They're dancing. They've only known each other three and a half hours, and already she's feeling the sense of loss. Right. And then, I guess I didn't pick up on that idea that I thought that was their only date, but they made it clear that he's leaving in a month from then? He's got a month. Okay, right. so they spent a this month together. This was their first date, yeah. Okay, all right. I guess I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so then we go back to the spaceship, and he's having his flashback, and it's like April 19th, 1988. Right. And he's having uh, another voiceover. Got so many voiceovers. <laughs> he's just wondering about Sandy. And you see his face. And this is super, this is the other awkward, super imposed shot in uh-huh. this block that really stood out. Where it's his face. And you're kind of looking up at an angle a little bit. And his nostrils are kind of her eyes at the same <laughs> time when <laughs> it's like fading in and out. And then uh-huh. he just keeps talking about, I love you, Sandy. And then you see as he's leaving to go on the ship. Gives her a big movie kiss. And she explains that this is a small, unofficial gesture from a lower-level bureaucrat of our good, grave, respectable government. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes in for the kiss. Yes. And then she says that her life will essentially be meaningless and empty without him to share it. It yeah. really... This is the moment when this episode gets sad, where she's like, well, yeah, my life is meaningless. And she, yeah, I'm completely he, dull without you. I've known you. What I thought was only three and a half hours, but it turns out it's a full month. But still... Still. After dating somebody for a month. 
That's you can cool it, astronaut. Cool your space jets. Hot astronaut lady. Well, this is what's interesting about that, too, is that um, I, I, this guy doesn't have any personality at all. Okay, Zero. He has zero charisma. He's uh-huh. like a pretty good looking dude. Sure. She's funny. You know, yeah, like she yeah. seems like she's got some. They like, seem okay, but there's no passion aside from the time that they press their faces against each other really hard. Right. So it does. Like, I think it really would have helped if we'd kind of established this guy. Maybe he's an astronaut, obviously, but he's thinking out was like kind of jokey or did something to show that there would be a reason why she loved him with such a passion to where. Or even yeah, even if they went the other direction. And just explain that he's a complete loser nerd. Yeah. And that would explain that like, oh, if he's never had a girlfriend before and he spends this one night with this amazing lady and then that's his obsession. Right. But he's just like, yeah, an average dude Mm -hmm. who happens to be 31. It's like he's never talked to a lady before and he just can't get Sandy out of his head. No, because he touched her hand that time too. The whole episode hinges on this love story. The love story is super shallow. It's awful. Yeah. (laughs) And she's talking about like the next time you see me, I'll just be this old lady with a blanket and they'll wave in a little flag <laughs> right, or something right. so she she's gonna be in her 60s or but he 70s. says he's coming for her anyway i'll come for you because yeah. you know it's been a month i'm gonna touch your old body he says <laughs> so then we cut to a, the rocket taking off uh which is not innuendo it's just a rocket uh, taking off uh-huh. as you're going into space and we fast forward and then i like this part a lot uh-huh it's a couple guys in the future and they're talking about hey one of those old missions is coming back and uh this is when it gets super sad. Yeah, I like this part too. And then uh, they're like, oh, there's some notes from the doctor. He must have been running the operation. He says, oh, there's got to find this na- this lady named Sandra. She's been put in the hibernation room. Right. And at that moment, it's like, oh, no. But my favorite part is in that conversation when they're like, oh, yeah, he was checking out that one solar system, which we totally checked out 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So like the technology had leapfrogged in a way while he was just drifting through space. I totally checked it out and found out there's absolutely nothing in that solar system. So his entire mission was meaningless. And he just stepped off the rocket and then came back, you know? Yeah. So Doug's ship lands and he also, there's a communications error. So he was not able to like check in, although I don't know what kind of conversations Snoring, he checking in. Yeah, I don't know how that works. <laughs> easy, easy, easy. <laughs> so there's only some contact and at one point he removed himself from hibernation. Right. So... That was that happened six months after the the ship left Earth. So he, and they this guy talks to Sandy. She looks great. She's wearing like a sparkly space dress. Uh-huh. It's Forty years in the future, or whatever. Right. And he's saying you gotta realize here's the deal. He has been so bored in that cockpit and so lonely. So don't expect to see the man that you saw yeah. a while ago. I so, like I like that they really give her a chance to like hey. Just so you know, yep. I know you've been waiting 40 years mm-hmm. of sleep for this, but something's up. Yeah, no pressure, but he's at the end of this hallway backlit. So <laughs> and he's going to be walking toward us super slowly. And he comes down the hall and then you see her reaction and she's like trying to hold it in. You can tell that she's not loving it, but she uh-huh. hasn't seen him. And then it shows him and you see the exorcist, right? No. Well, this reference will make absolutely zero sense to you. Uh-huh. Every once in a while, they do these quick shots of this spooky demon face. Okay. With this ghoulish makeup. Sure. That's what he looks like. This uh-huh. is the, among the worst. This is the worst age makeup I've seen. It's supposed <laughs> Wait, to be age makeup. Cliffordville? This is worse than that. Because oh, this boy. looks like someone just drew fat lines on their <laughs> face. Like he's just wearing too much like rouge or something. Yeah. And he basically tells her, you know, to go away but first he explains she's like do you remember me he's like i've remembered you for 40 years i haven't stopped thinking about you and i mean like if the the shots of him remembering stuff in that Uh block of ice is any indication this ship does not have a lot of room 
No, let alone a lot of food. This guy would be a fucking maniac. <laughs> he would have like had claws and a giant <laughs> beard. Well, maybe there's like a crazy montage of them trying to clean him up after he arrived. He's just covered in his own feces. Yeah, maybe like they gave him an extra year of padding to try and like teach him how to be a human being again. He's just a feral maniac. Because okay, forty years by himself. Who knows how he survived? And the communication stuff's broken. So you don't right. even... This podcasting room, no one could see it, is a fairly good-sized room. Right. And if we had unlimited food, uh, I would not want to be in here for one decade. But what if you actually loved a woman? Mm, this changes everything. <laughs> so, yeah, then he just sends her away. Even though she she seemed fine with the idea of being right. with an older guy. And then the guy, the the military guy from the future just is like in awe of his sacrifice uh, I don't, what does he call it does, i don't know he just says i i'm amazed that you would do this for love for america yeah so it's interesting that two episodes in this block are about like the incompatibility of age differences mm-hmm. in a relationship it's like nope it doesn't work either way what are you gonna do this episode is basically the trade-ins uh yeah a heartbreaking version of the trade-ins yeah I guess so. Yeah, it is. It is surprisingly similar. Like if they were just disconnected mm-hmm. in their freezing states or their body transmission states. It's like a sacrifice gone wrong, and it's irreversible. Right. Right. Because he's not able to go back to his younger self, and she's not able to age quickly, so they're compatible again. It's just like, well, and that's the thing that with this sucked. episode. Like emotionally, it was super weak. The love story sucked. Yeah. But you got to give it up. It is a fun idea. The idea of like, oh God, they blew it, and he decided to age himself. She decided to freeze herself. The thing that I don't understand here is, yeah. and it would have been helpful, technology obviously made advances right. while he was adrift in space. So they could have aged her rapidly? No, no, no. My question is, um, you know, they, they went to the planet while it took him forever to get there. Uh, so how long was it until they had, like, built this hibernation chamber? Was she living her life? Or was it, it was just, like, her immediate decision? Like, was this something they could have spoken about before he went under the oh absolutely i completely imagined that they could have spoken about it then they had one on earth or like your your idea is like he takes off some time goes by and then she's like by the way build me a hibernation chamber because i'm in love yes okay my because that seems like a conversation you would want to have if like the second that you find out that you're yeah on a spaceship and they have this nutrient bath from like the (laughs) Lymph nodes of hibernating yeah. animals and cells and vitamins uh-huh. and stuff. In terms of important relationship yeah. conversations, it certainly seems up there. Yeah, you would ask the doctor, okay, here's the deal. I'm sacrificing essentially 40 years of my life, even though it won't seem that way. Can you make another one of these things Yeah, and stick my lady friend in it? Right. Or can she come with me? Yeah. That and sounds if, like if, a lovely cruise. Because the, the fact that they were able to do that, it, she hasn't aged at all, right? They, right. It would have been nice if they had a conversation like, oh, she went into the hibernation chamber 10 years after he right. took off so that at least you, yeah so you knew that there, like he didn't know that there was that uh-huh. possibility i want more exposition in much about that i'm with you cork well it seems like he could have maybe mentioned that or <laughs> she could have mentioned that instead it would have of been him nice. just talking about love and time passing <laughs> and <laughs> da, 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 da. uh i gave this one a six i think we are finally aligned we got three in a row i gave it a six as well that's pretty sweet let's keep riding this baby to the end let's do it Cool. All right. We are coming up on halfway through the final season of Twilight Zone. So thanks for listening, everybody. If you've listened to every episode of this, and especially if you've listened to every episode and watched every episode, you're a real trooper. And we're going to send you out a windbreaker. What? The Twilight Highlights on Windbreaker. It's coming your way. Heads up. <laughs>
<laughs> Check your mailbox, right? That's right. I'm really, I can't wait to see how you do this. <laughs> All right. You want to sign us off? Let's sign us off. Please. We'll see you next week. I'm going to have a short drink from a fountain. It's a certain fountain. Feels like the first time. Check the levels. Check the levels. Nope. Yep. Nope. Nope. Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. <laughs> Twilight Zone. <sighs> Do it. Do it. <laughs> I'm thinking about releasing some uh, largemouth bass into games like <laughs> Dorat! <laughs> uh, love it. I like my hometown. It sounds great. Hometown blues. Take Q- it away. Q John Cougar Melon Camp. <laughs> have right. you ever had a. Uh, <laughs> Do it. Tell me. A melon ham? A melon John ham? Cougar Melon Ham? John Cougar. <laughs> John Cougar's Melon Hams. Hmm. <laughs> I love the the smell of ham too. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs>